Sholem Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with David Novak. David is the director and a writer-producer of Finding Babel. Prior to his work with Finding Babel, he wrote, produced, and directed the film Burning the Future, Colon America, which won awards at numerous festivals in the U.S. and Europe, including the prestigious IDA Pair Lorenz Award for Social Documentary Filmmaking. He produced Kim jong Ilya, a documentary about North Korean refugees that premiered at the 2009 Sundance Film Festival and enjoyed a theatrical run at the International Documentary Association's DocuWeeks Theatrical Showcase. The film won the 2010 Best Human Rights Documentary Award from the One World Brussels Film Fest of the Human Rights and Democracy Network. David is also a recording mixer sound designer, recently adding a major new opera by Roger Waters to his credits. In addition to making films, David Novak is a professor of film at the University of Pennsylvania School of Design, where he enjoys mentoring a new generation of filmmakers. Welcome, David. Well, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I'm delighted that you were able to book some time with us to talk about the film, which is absolutely wonderful. So Thank you. Could you tell me a little bit about the story behind the film? Sure. I mean, I came into this film as kind of a funny path. I had been researching my great-great-uncle, who was a famous composer of synagogue music, liturgical music, in Odessa before the Revolution. His name was David Novakovsky. And I was researching him, and I went to Odessa in 1993 and filmed a little bit in Odessa while I was there. And everyone I spoke with, when I would interview local historians about what Odessa was like before the revolution, they all said, you have to read Isaac Babel. And I I didn't know who he was. I said, uh, okay. (laughs) And sure enough, within Babel's short stories about Ben Crick, the Jewish gangsters of Odessa, he had many references to the Brody Synagogue, which is a synagogue where my great-great-uncle <clears throat> was composing. So this was my entry into Babel, and I said, wow, this is, this is amazing stuff. Um, but initially, it's funny, the Odessa stories are regarded as being very, very humorous, and I didn't quite see them that way. And I turned on, eventually, my grandmother's Yiddish accent, because all, all of my grandparents came from that part of the world. I turned on her accent, and I reread it, and all of a sudden, all of the sarcasm that is embedded in Babel's writing uh, for the Odessa tales became perfectly clear, and I could see all of the humor in it. So at that point, I really fell in love with Babel and continued to research him. And there was a gallery owner uh, out of D.C. who had an exhibition in New Jersey, that I went to, there was the paintings of a painter named Yefim Ladezhinsky. Ladezhinsky had done a series of painted illustrations that were used in publications of Babel in the Soviet Union. And I went and I was filming them and I was speaking with this gallery owner and he said, you know, I'm friends with Babel's wife. I said, what do you mean Babel's wife? He He has a wife who's still alive? He said, absolutely. And he introduced me to Antonina Piroshkova. She was 94 at the time, and I interviewed her. Uh, I was around 2002. And it was a marvelous interview. And the little DV tapes, because that was back in DV days, uh, they sat in my drawer. I had no idea what I was going to do with them. I just felt like I needed to, to get her story on camera. Uh, about eight years later, she passed away. She was over 100, and I read her obituary in the New York Times and called
called her grandson uh, and Babo's grandson, Andre Malayev Babo, to express my condolences to Andre. And he said, you know, I'm thinking of going over. I'm thinking of going to Ukraine and to Paris and to Russia and to figure out what was really at the heart of my grandfather's writing. I want to put myself in the places where he was. I want to surround myself with those environments, and I want to further investigate his life as well. And would you like to come? And I said, absolutely. I'm coming. I'm bringing a film crew. And that was the beginning of shooting Finding Bobble, and it was five years ago. And wow. it take- <laughs> so you both found your way to one another, which is interesting. And, and as you say, you, you began to travel together, and you went to, I think, Ukraine, France, Russia, Location central to the telling of the story of the writer. These yeah. were locations that figured into both his narrative and his personal life. And I wonder what that journey was like as he sought to unravel his grandfather's life story. It was amazing. I mean, I have to say that, that the, gosh, you know, every location was amazing. So it's a great story. But if I, if I think in terms of Ukraine first, I mean, our first shoot was, was in western Ukraine. And we went to Shtetls. Um, Shtetls where Isaac Babel had ridden through these lands as a journalist, embedded and disguised with the Red Cavalry, riding with the Cossacks, basically, through the countryside uh, during the Civil War or the war between the Soviets and the Poles in that part of of the world. Um, And to put ourselves in his shoes, thinking about that, thinking about being the Jew in disguise. And everybody knew he was Jewish, but nobody said anything. It was sort of a gentleman's agreement that they would just ignore the fact that he was Jewish. But he witnessed raping and pillaging of both Jewish homes and Ukrainian peasantry homes by the Poles and by the Cossacks. I mean, he saw, he saw horrific things. And to read his 1920 diary as a companion piece with the series of short stories that emerged from this experience, the Red Cavalry stories, um, is incredible because it really opens your eyes to what he must have been going through um, traumatically uh, through this experience. And so Andre's going through these lands and putting himself in those shoes, and he's opening up the stories, and he's reading the stories. I mean, we filmed a lot of stories that Andre read in situ while we were traveling. We just didn't use them in the film. There was, they were part of his journey mm-hmm. to do that. So he's so Andre embedded himself in these stories and in the lands. We would, there would be a reference to a cathedral, and we would find it, and we'd be in it, and he would read the story that has the reference to that cathedral. And everywhere we went, what kept popping up in western Ukraine was echoes of history, echoes of the revolution, echoes of that particular war, echoes of the Holocaust, echoes of... The, the attempted Ukrainian revolution in the, in the 20s, these things kept popping up. Andre at one point said it was like a whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he, something would pop up, we would process it. Um, he would process it from, a, from sort of a, an analytical and an emotional point of view and sort of put it away and something else would pop up. And we go through these lands, you know, looking for a Jewish cemetery, for instance, a cemetery that... Uh, is referenced in, in one of Bobble's Red Cavalry stories. And a 
gentleman who we ask, you know, where's the cemetery? He says, oh, that, that's gone. The Soviets got rid of that in the 70s. But come with me. Follow me. I want to show you something else. And viewers will see, he takes us through the woods to a barely marked mass grave from the Holocaust. And once again, this is one of these moments that just pops up. The history is popping up and the connectedness, the continuity of the tumultuous times in those lands uh, became very, very clear to us. It, it, it's a really interesting construction because I think Bobble's work is described, as you say, as sort of a witness to history reflecting on the time and place. And it seems that the film echoes the same thing, the encounters, the, the paths that you take. And I wonder in your journey, as you're describing it, if the story in the film unfolded as you followed all of these leads, for lack of a better word. Yes, uh, absolutely. That is absolutely what happened. Um, we did not know that history was going to be so present everywhere that we went. And it dovetailed very much with how Bobble writes, um, what he wrote about, what he was concerned with. And it also dovetails with the contemporary nature of his work and of the film, in that we need to regard current events, um, you know, the crisis going on between Ukraine and Russia, things going on in the States, things going on in the Middle East, everywhere. We need to concentrate on the continuum of history and not just think right now in the present moment. And Bobble echoes that. He makes that very, very clear. So that later in the film, when we are dealing with Bobble's arrest and torture and ultimate execution, all of which was in 1939 and 1940, you know, right at the emergence of the Holocaust, um, it, it connects to the experience that we had had in Ukraine. Because mm -hmm. it, it, it was all of a... As I keep saying, it was all of a continuum, a uh, 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 continuum that just can't be ignored. And, and the film includes, you reference us, the sort of voiceover readings of passages from Bobble's text, and it's accompanied by this almost, it's like dreamlike footage that gives the viewer, I think, a sort of an imagined landscape that relates to the story. And again, I was really curious um, if these passages were found after the fact, or how did that parallel the experience of making the film? Mm. Well, when we were on location, um, whether we're talking Ukraine or in Paris or, or, or in Russia, Andre chose stories to read that he felt moved by and that he felt connected him to that moment and that place and where, where some of it was very much about a location, and other times it was just about where he was emotionally. And we used that as a cue. There were many, many, many more stories that were read while we were on location shooting um, than the number that we actually used. Later on, it became, well, that gave us a palette. Um, we went outside of that palette, but by and large, we stayed close to that palette, and we would find, he would read a whole story, or he would read maybe half of the story. We would find the paragraphs that worked narratively with um, where we felt we were in the narrative of the film at that moment. 
um, the kinds of things that we wanted to echo. We wanted to have Bobble echo along the journey in these various places at, at those moments. So it's sort of a combination of both, to answer your question. Some of this, much of it was sort of preordained from the journey through and really set up by, by Andre as things unfolded. Uh, but then there was another layer of going back to those moments. What we did, however, with the animation, which really was for us uh, one of the ways in which we tried to honor Bobble. Um, as a filmmaker, I wanted to almost channel the way in which the the way in which he used the short story medium, I wanted to kind of translate that into a film medium. And so one of those things that we did with the animation was that rather than start from scratch from animation, we always used footage from location, from the moment that we're trying to convey, and then morphed that into this ethereal space um, that would become evocative of something else and kind of raise the level to visual poetry whenever we were dealing with his words directly. And it, it works beautifully. It, it, it weaves itself seamlessly through the storytelling um, and just it, it feels very comfortable there. Um, oh, well, thank you. I'm glad to hear yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine, as you say, that for Andre, this must have been a very moving experience to both take this journey and then to have it documented. Very much so. And there were some things that Andre felt that um, we couldn't relay in the film. Um, it would have become very voiceover heavy if we did that mm -hmm. and we didn't want to go there. Um, I think that we hit the real critical moments. There were also some moments that were very, oh, there were some um, difficult moments in Odessa that we in fact removed. Uh, because for the whole narrative arc of the film, Odessa kind of falls in the middle, mm -hmm. and we are coming out of Red Cavalry, and out of Red Cavalry, which is, of course, um, very serious and very traumatic and very heart-wrenching. Um, and we're going on this arc that takes us ultimately to Moscow and to the arrest and torture and execution of Isaac Babel, and there was an earlier cut where in Odessa we went uh, very heavily into the pogrom experience. Um, there was a massive pogrom in Odessa in 1905. I'm sure many of your, your listeners um, are, are aware of that. Um, and one of Babel's stories, the story of my dovecot, deals very directly with that narrative. Um, and we ended up having to remove it in the very last cut because to take us sort of back down to that level for that amount of time in the middle of the film is very difficult f for mm -hmm. audiences, right? So the narrative storytelling in the arc of a 90-minute film is so different than a short story, um, and we did have to remove some of Andre's um, most heavy moments, but, m but many of them were there. There was one moment which I found really... Um, it gave me pause... And it was when you go back to the apartment where he lived, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then you go out to the balcony, and you realize, again, that that landscape is pretty much what he saw. Yeah, yes, that was quite a moment. And, and, and we, we, vis we visited that, um, I'll tell you, we visited that courtyard again um, just this past year, the film screen at the Odessa Film Festival, so I was there with, with, with the film in July. And um, the gentleman who owns that who, who owns that apartment 
and kind of controls that building in a way, has gone and he's taken that court, courtyard and he's, he's now artificially made it even more exactly what it was. Wow. Yeah, which is really, <laughs> really kind of neat with some great murals that have been painted by a wonderful artist and, and whatnot. They really honor Babel in Odessa. He's such a hero in that city. Yeah, I was going to say that there is a reverence and an understanding of the importance he plays in that history. Yeah. Um, was there any one encounter or person or place that you felt was either central to the film or, or became pivotal in terms of envisioning the direction? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, there were a few. So one was the moment outside of Moscow in Peridelkina. Um, we were searching for the plot of land that had had Babel and Piroshkova's dacha, their, their, their weekend house. And the house was destroyed in a fire, I think in the 70s, uh, maybe 60s, maybe 70s. And we, so we knew the house wasn't going to be there, but Andre really wanted to just get on that property and sit down on the ground and, and essentially just, just meditate, just be there. And that area now has a McMansions behind a gate, and they wouldn't let him in. And um, that was pivotal. And interestingly, Babel is so famous in the Russian-speaking world that everywhere we went, Andre was treated as a hero. The grandson was treated as a hero. Mm -hmm. People opened up their apartments for us. People fed us. People drove us. People, I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, for how many people helped us out in this production when we were in, in Ukraine and Russia. And that was the one time where Andre was just flatly turned away. And it really set the trajectory for the last 20 minutes of the film. Wow. Well, it's a really important and it's a strong film, um, which I thank you for finding your way to one another and for making it. And I wonder if you can just share a little bit about, is it the film now in distribution? Yes, the film is in distribution. It's going to open in New York City on October 28th for a week at Cinema Village. It will run for a week in Los Angeles in early December. Uh, it's also going to run for, I believe, two weeks in a theater in Williamsburg, Virginia. And from there, we're going to go into deeper distribution. On the educational front, uh, it will be available also on October 28th or 29th um, at the Video Project, uh, so that universities and institutes like the Yiddish Book Center will be able to get a hold of it very easily. I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, you know, the film sits on that tentpole of, of, of course, Jewish history, um, Russian history, um, literature, and and even Yiddish literature. Um, Aaron Lansky said in the, when we interviewed him for the film that it was, that Babel is the quintessential Yiddish writer. And I was so surprised to hear that because he didn't write in Yiddish, he wrote in Russian. Mm -hmm. And um, Aaron made it very clear that this perspective of being an insider who's really also an outsider is what defined how Babel wrote, how Babel told his stories. He embedded himself everywhere. First, the Red Cavalry, that was his first lesson of embedding, but later on he embedded himself with the KGB, with the NKVD. 
And you tell his story very well as well. We're looking forward to screening it here at the Yiddish Book Center. Um, and quickly, you have a website? Yes, findingbabel.com, and there's also a Facebook group, which is easy to find. It, uh, it's, finding, it's Finding Babel Doc, but of course the search will pull it up. Um, most of our announcements of screenings are happening on Facebook. It certainly seems to work better these days <laughs> than just websites. Um, and I look forward to bringing it up to, 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 to Amherst, to the area, and having your local audiences come on in and have a great talk back. Maybe we can get Andre up there as well, the grandson. He would, uh, we'd love to have him back. Yeah. Yes, that would be lovely. Um, well, we look forward to that, and best of luck with the film. Thank you so much for making it, and again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Alexa Sewing. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.